Blog Talk Radio. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Good common sense and sound judgment of the American people and their essential love of justice. Hi, welcome to the Kudzu Vine for uh, October 13th, 2019. I'm your host, David McLaughlin. Back on the show after a few weeks. Welcome back, Catherine Smith. Happy Pride and greetings from Atlanta, and I'm glad to be back. And welcome, Tim Shifflett. Good evening, sir. All right. Well, Catherine, uh, I heard about your good news. Your trip was wonderful over to Eastern Europe, and that is great. But I have bad news. You left the country, and uh, Donald Trump has used the office of the presidency to get foreign governments to investigate private American citizens. Um, he, he's uh, he's let uh, Turkey, Iraq uh, attack the Kurds in Syria. So because you left, we figured that had something to do with it, so we got you placed on the no-fly list. So that probably is your last <laughs> trip out of the country for a while since, you know, everything okay. goes to um, heck in a handbasket when you leave. Yeah, well, I was uh, – I, I really wanted to be sort of on a news blackout, but I was with uh, 27, uh, 27 good liberals, and uh, everyone was curious about what was going on, so we got – updates from uh we we could get cnn while we were there so so my uh news blackout was unsuccessful but yeah i, I mean I, I did sort of feel like that as soon as i left the country like everything went crazy and and uh our president seems to just be digging himself deeper and deeper he doesn't seem to understand uh what impeachment means or what's illegal and what's not illegal in terms of talking to foreign governments. So it's certainly interesting to see this happen and the reaction from all sides has been a little bit surprising, I think. So Yeah. That was um, my that's well, my take I mean, on it. Let's... Yeah, Catherine, we're going to get kind of more of your thoughts in, in broader form as we go through. Um, but, you know, this just this uh, end of the week, we found out that Rudy Giuliani had two associates, Igor, and I forget the other gentleman's name. They were both from the Ukraine. They got arrested. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. Um, like on – I think it was Friday they got uh, detained. Um and uh, and then it's like you know Donald Trump. They ask him about him. He says, "I don't know those guys." And they literally, I, I want to say it was either Bill Maher or uh, Saturday Night Live News. They did like a little slideshow with like five straight pictures of uh, Donald Trump and these two gentlemen. Rudy Giuliani was at least one of the pictures <laughs> as well. Um, it, it was like, I mean, you can't, you can't just, you couldn't make it up as crazy as it is. Uh, Tim, what does this new wrinkle you think mean where these two uh, Rudy Giuliani associates from Ukraine have now been taken in? 
Well, Rudy Giuliani, uh, it's, it's unbelievable. <laughs> For the last two or three days, they've, they've, they've said his name on the news more than they have said Donald Trump's name. That, that's enough right there to get Trump mad. But right now, at least, Trump seems to be sticking with Rudy Giuliani, uh, defending him, of course, the day after he tried to distance himself from him by claiming, oh, I don't know those guys, and, uh, you know, la di da di da well, I, how Trump does. Uh, but uh, I think Giuliani had lunch with Trump yesterday and a photo op at Trump's uh, golf course out in Virginia. So he's defending him, but that's just for now. Trump, don't forget, guys, Trump has proved time and again that he will not hesitate to dispense with even his most loyal foot soldiers if he feels that they are no use to him. So Giuliani is officially now being investigated, even though he denies it. And it's just another another wrinkle and another bad day and some really bad days for for Trump. <laughs> yeah, um, Catherine, uh, there's just really been so much going on here. Uh, the, the part where he's you know tried to withhold military funds from the or support from the Ukrainian government unless they investigated Hunter Biden. Uh, just kind of what's your general take on this? I mean, he seemingly got away with what seemingly happened when he was a candidate, a private citizen with Russia. Now he has the office of the presidency, and he pretty much asked for this quid pro quo, more maybe more than one, and maybe with China as well. Um, this seems so much worse, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, much worse. Yes. Um, I mean, strong-arming. Uh, an uh, uh, ally with these kind of um, you know threats or you know quid pro quo uh, deals is uh, yeah and people are dying because of it I mean it's 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 a fact and it's yeah, it's much worse than what he did during the election. And I think you know yeah, some I people mean, are some people are coming around to it that we didn't expect to. I mean, I think yeah, even some of our Democrats are you know more outraged as outraged as we think they should have been all along. But some Republicans yeah, are well, also, but. Yeah, Democrats. That this may be what you know results in impeachment. Um, you know, but that's the one house step of the process. Now it's real interesting the way Republicans have come along. Like apparently this morning, you know, Ted Cruz basically said it is wrong to involve a foreign government to investigate an American citizen. Well, good for Ted Cruz. What does that mean? Probably won't mean much in the end. One person that I kind of thought might be somebody that if Republicans started falling, the retiring Senator Lamar Alexander, who is not by any means a moderate, but as far as Republicans go, he, he's kind of in the mold of Johnny Isaacson, been around a while, um, kind of has more of a reputation to uphold. He is retiring, so it's not like he's going to be on the ballot again. He actually made a statement like he just thinks that 
you know, removing the president, impeachment, any of those steps would just further divide the country, which, you know, he may be right, but if somebody does this much wrong, you just may not have any choice anymore. Um, so it's kind of at the end of the day, all the, the, the statements that a lot of Republicans have made, will it amount to, you know, votes on action? I'm still suspect. What do you think, Tim? Well, I tell you, uh, it, it's great that senators are expressing their doubts and this and that and the other. Of course, they all do that knowing that right now, at least, they're not going to have to do anything except talk or express a, an opinion uh, without actually giving a real opinion, something like that, because where the Democrats really need some votes is over in the House. It would look a lot better to have an impeachment vote if, say, a dozen uh, Republican House members voted with the Democrats to, you know, for articles of impeachment. And uh, I... I that that's that's where we need the votes. We need the votes in the House, not the Senate. But but in Catherine, isn't that a tougher sale? Because knowing how districts are constructed, the number of swing district Republicans or moderate district Republicans is almost down to nil. Whereas there are some Republicans from you know purple and possibly even blue states. Well, but this is the point where, you know. In my opinion, you know, damn the ballot box. This is important. This is our democracy. This is, you know, these are uh, crimes against the country. So, you know, I know it's hard. It's uh, hard for them to vote when they think their their you know constituents aren't with them, but they should be able to go home and explain it. It's not that hard to explain. Yeah, but you're talking about a bunch of people that, um, you know, Louis Gomer's of the world. I mean, it's not like I know. Oh, I know. Uh, you know, dealing with deep thinkers. Um, I know. With some of these folks. You're, you're well, talking. Um, th- th- you're, you're, yeah, I was going to say you're, you're also talking about an entire party of politicians who are afraid of Donald Trump. And they are afraid of his base. And until it is proved to them that they have nothing to fear from Trump, I think they're going to stay in line with him. I think they, most of them feel like they have no choice but to do that. Don't you? Yeah, well, I think no they – the, the thing they're worried about – if they're all they're worried about is getting reelected, then no, they don't have any choice. That's right. But if there's but yeah. so yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean there is at some point, and it's going to be after Donald Trump has left, be it you know one of three different routes. But once he's gone, at some point, or hopefully at some point, we have some type of. It may not be a convention like the old you know congress. Uh, Constitutional Convention, but some thing where we reestablish the norms and the rules and say, look, we're going to have to have a, you know, we're going to have to have a rule book and we're going to have to play by the rule book 
and we're going to have to set partisan differences aside um, when it comes to right and wrong, not left and right, uh, not progressive and conservative, but when it comes to following the laws and, and, and you know conducting yourself in that way. I just don't think you can do that with Donald Trump in the White House because this is somebody that has no respect for rule of law. Um, I've been listening to this just this past weekend to a fascinating book by Rick Riley who talks about how the game of golf describes Donald Trump. I don't play golf. I don't really enjoy golf, but this book is fascinating because it talks about how he just cheats and knows no rules in the game of golf, which is you know kind of one of his identity things, and it goes so against the, the integrity of that sport. Uh, it really explains it. Rick Riley is making an incredible case. I'm about halfway through it. Uh, about how this is what we're getting in, in his presidency right now is what he's doing. Um, let me kind of turn to another aspect of this. This past week, Joe Biden called for Donald Trump's impeachment. First time he has, although he is directly involved in this whole thing because it was his son that was being investigated um, or wanting to, you know, they're wanting to be investigated. Uh, Tim, does this even matter that Joe Biden has called for the impeachment? Um, no, I don't. I don't. I don't think so. Um, the 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 impeachment stuff itself is it's going to be moving fast this week. By the way, uh, all these depositions are coming with House committees. We have. Um, People facing deadlines for documents, among them the vice president. Uh, there are so many names now getting drawn into this thing. I think Joe Biden is just becoming somewhat of another name in the mix. And polling is showing that people pretty much believe Biden. So I don't think it hurts him, but I don't think it really helps Biden either. Uh, it's just he w he was the guy <laughs> that, that Trump decided to go after. Oh, they'll all get their turn in other ways. For yeah. for instance, you know, with the threats that Trump's making to this one or that one. So um, uh, we, we, we probably won't hear a lot about Biden's name this coming week because there's going to be I'm, I'm looking at the list of stuff that's supposed to happen in the house this week with all these committees it's going to be busy my goodness there's going to be a lot of stuff going on yeah um and it'll be kind of fascinating to see like if Donald Trump then were to think he could do this with other uh candidates um, you know, oh, he's going to do probably don't have as much foreign relation ties. <laughs> yeah, it, it would be it would really show a, mo a modus operandi and, and and really expose him for who he is. Well, Kat, uh, well, actually, let me change gears. We're going to get back at that. I believe we're going to welcome our guest on now. And exciting to have from Gravis Marketing for uh, several times now, uh, Mr. Doug Kaplan. Welcome, Doug. Hey, how are you? Oh. Good to have you on the show. Well, um, Doug, I wanted to start off. You've had a lot of recent polls going on, but I wanted to start off with uh, since we had you on, I saw that uh, you know Kaplan Marketing, and you have a, a nonpartisan 
polling firm that, that's been very highly rated as far as being you know accurate. And but you've been named the polling firm for uh, Breitbart News, and it's kind of like you know Fox News. Uh, their polls are very respected, even though their you know weeknight lineup is considered pretty partisan. Um, given that you're nonpartisan, but you're working for a conservative news source, how are you kind of balancing that um, that dynamic, if you will? Yeah, well, that was something that we did in 2016, and. It was very easy. We controlled we controlled the polling, the the the, the statistics, and you know all of, all of the reporting. And we gave them the polls. They never interfered with the results. Um, and the results were what they were. And um, so they were a good partner to work with. Okay, because because I know that they they do have their online polls, which are completely different than your work. But um, in particular, right. Donald Trump will cite those approval polls, which are web polls. Have you kind of had any people having you have to explain the difference between your polls and their web polls that are on Breitbart's site? Yeah, all, all the time, all the time. And, I, and again, it's the, the polls we did with Breitbart were in 2016, so it was a long time ago. Yeah, okay. Just an interesting topic, and I do think what happened this past week with uh, Fox News polling where Donald Trump actually attacked him and then said, yeah, such a wonderful news source, and he, of course, talking about the Sean Hannity's of the world, ought to have a better polling firm, even though their polling firm is, like, super respected uh, across the board. Um, well, you've done just a number of different state polls, and I'm going to pass it to Tim and Catherine, and then uh, whatever they don't ask about, I'm going to um, kind of back clean up. So I'm going to um, pass it uh Catherine. I'll let you ask about whichever states you want to and uh, from the polling and then pass it to Tim. Okay. Well, actually, let me look at my board here, and I'm going to pass it to Tim first. Tim? Oh, good evening, Mr. Kaplan. Thank you for being on again with us. Thank you for um, having me. You've got a recent poll of South Carolina out. A lot of interesting stuff in there. One thing I noticed amongst Democratic candidates, that the number of undecided voters in South Carolina, that number exceeds Every candidate's total except that of Joe Biden. Does that indicate that, well, it's still early and support is just not firmed up yet, uh, that it's still a horse race in South Carolina, or, or what does it indicate? Yeah, there's still a lot of undecided uh, voters um, everywhere. Um, you know, in a place like South Carolina, it's a firewall for, for Joe Biden. So mm -hmm. it should be something of, of a concern for him that there's that many undecided voters. Mm -hmm. uh, now, 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 in your section on the ideology of, of the poll respondents, uh, an overwhelming plurality lists themselves as moderate. Um would this not help Biden as much as his support, strong support by African Americans is? I, I don't see how the other more progressive candidates could make a race of this, given the makeup of the voters there. Well, you know, 
in, in, in South Carolina, um, I think it's over 60% of the voters are African-American. And mm-hmm. A high percentage of African-American represent themselves as moderate mm-hmm. um, versus, you know, white, 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 white people might, might be more, more liberal. Um, mm-hmm. um, you know, things like religion and, and stuff like that um, in the Democratic Party. Um, the uh, the other thing about the large number of African American voters there is that both Cory Booker and Kamala Harris do not seem to be polling uh, well among those voters there. Uh, what, why is that? It's it's it's, it's very surprising that uh, Harris hasn't um, caught on. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it might be something that 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 might happen. You know, she she performs well in Iowa. Um, mm-hmm. Same goes for Booker. For Booker. Um, but if they perform well in Iowa, then you might see something in South Carolina. But as of yet, uh, they have not caught on with African American voters, who are so important in Democratic primaries, uh, especially in the South, um, and, and and in certain states in the Midwest and out west. Hmm. Um, and, and the final question about this state, and then I'll pass it along. Um, you uh, listed, and I think very correctly, uh, South Carolina as Joe Biden's firewall state. If he were to lose both Iowa and New Hampshire, um, do, do, do you think... Uh, historically based that he could still hold that firewall in that state. I, I think it'll be awfully hard. I mm-hmm. think that um, you'll, you'll you'll see um, you know the results come in in, in Iowa and and in, in New Hampshire, and I think that you know let's say Warren wins both of those states. Mm-hmm. I think you know, the amount the amount of media coverage that she'll get. I think people will have a second look. I think a lot of those undecideds will go to her, and I think that um, people, you know, I think it, I think that 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 his firewall will crumble. He's got to win one of the two, one of the two early states, or at least perform very very well. Ah, uh, and I certainly agree with you on that. And um, that's all for me, David. Yes. Well, you've done some polls some other states, including the first primary state in the nation, uh, New Hampshire. And uh, New Hampshire, I think, done several polls since you've been on. And um, in general, you can tell about your findings, but then also, do you kind of think that the winner between Elizabeth Warren and, and Bernie Sanders, the winner keeps moving on and the loser's out? Um, it, 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 it depends. I, I, I think... Sanders, no matter what, will stay in the race because he'll fight for delegates. I think Warren, um, if for some reason, you know, who's leading nationally, if, 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 if she underperformed, I think she probably wouldn't stay in the race like, like a Sanders. Who would be in it for the delegates? Hmm. Yes. Um, well, just in general, what are some other things out of New Hampshire you're polling showing? 
Well, what the what the polling is, is showing is nationally and and Iowa and New Hampshire, uh, and I think showing in South Carolina yet, is that Warren has overtaken Biden. Uh, Warren has ga- Warren has gained significantly since the first debate, and it's not that Joe Biden is losing votes. Um, his 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 voters are are standing still. It's that Warren is getting voters from people like Harris or Booker. And in addition, a lot of the undecided voters are going her way. Um, so I think that, that what, what you're seeing is is Warren right now is is, is gaining, and um, um, whether or not it's a peak at this point or it's too early, we don't know. But uh, she's gaining right now. She, if the if the primaries were today, she probably would win Iowa and, and New Hampshire. Yes, and another state she's polled on that's now I guess the fourth. Um, a state to hold a, a caucus or I guess it's the fourth state to hold a, An election we'll say And it's a caucus is Nevada And Nevada is different And one it doesn't have that uh, long track record Like even South Carolina does now um, But then also It's got a, a population that's a bit younger And also a, a population where more people Are likely to have been born Outside of the state Um could that be a state where a different candidate breaks through besides one of these uh, top three, or is it going to be kind of predicated on what happens in the earlier states? Oh. Yeah, you know, I think I, I think you never know. I think you have a ton of Hispanic voters in, in Nevada. Um, I think where, where you, most likely someone will break through will be Iowa or New Hampshire, where someone will come in a strong second or might, might, might even win and might surprise you. And then, then they go on to the other states. Yes, and, and then um, you also polled on on the state of Maine. In Maine, um, I'm sure you did some presidential numbers, which, in particularly that one congressional district that's more competitive, that might really be in play um, in the general. But then, additionally, we know they have a very competitive Senate race where the um, state house leader is going up against longtime incumbent. Um, Susan yeah. uh, Collins. Susan Collins. Um, yeah. What what have, what did you kind of find there when you polled um, that uh, Senate race in particular? Well, Collins is is ahead, but it's in dangerous territory. She's under fifty percent. Um, she could easily lose. Uh, you know, she's got a very very tough opponent, as you mentioned. Um, so I, I I wouldn't be surprised to see if the Democrats beat her there, based on some of her votes. For Trump and Kavanaugh, and um, some of the other 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 votes. Mm. Yes, and and I will say I watched the uh, the, my, the the state house leader, and her name escapes me, but she was really impressive in her um, opening video talking about how she got into politics, and I thought it was a very compelling message. Um, I, I'm a big right. guy on bios. I think having a backstory. Uh, kind of helps pull connection with it, and she has one. Um, well, let me ask: Did you were you able to poll on? I guess in particular the presidential race, uh, the general possible matchups in that uh, one congressional district that's kind of a, a swing district. We did not. We focused just on the primaries there, uh, and the yeah. general election for okay. the Senate. Yeah. Okay. And then what did your uh, uh, primary polling show? So this was this was this was a, 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 few, a few months ago. So it had Biden ahead significantly, but I imagine that it's changed since then. 
Yeah, certainly. Well, well, let me ask you about the primaries, and this may be more of a we plan to, but particularly with your uh, you know relationship with a, a leading conservative news source. Now that there are four candidates in their Republican primary, um, are there any plans or any demands um, for people to poll the Republican primary field and see how much of a shot William Well, Mark Sanford, and um, Joe Walsh have in this thing? Yeah, and I, I think what we're looking at is the states that they're going to get on the ballot. Um, the RNC has really blocked um, – has really blocked block them from getting on the ballot in certain states, um, but I think that you'll see poll, a lot of polling uh, on these candidates in the states um, to see where they are against Trump. I think yeah, the first I, I think will that be will New be Hampshire. fascinating. Yeah, because yeah, it New seems Hampshire like, given all that's going on, first state, yeah, it seems like there'll be a lot of um, uh, possibility if these guys are ever going to gain traction, it'll be Throughout the next uh, few weeks, while um, so much negative um, news is getting discussed on Donald Trump, well, Tim, do you have any other questions for um, uh, yeah, Doug? Yeah, I, I, I do have a couple. As a matter of fact, um, do, do you believe, based on what you have seen in the polling that you've done this year on it, that Nevada? Is setting up to be a 2020 battleground state? Um, well, I think the, I think Nevada's went to the Democrats the last the last you know four or five cycles. So I think mm-hmm. it's pretty pretty safe state for Democrats um, unless something were to happen. I mean, if the Democrats can't win Nevada, I, I don't know how they'll win you know states like Florida or Wisconsin. But I think Nevada would be a pretty safe state for Democrats, um, unless you know, unless if it's not, then they have big, they're in big, big trouble. Okay. Well, segueing off that question, and the, the the reason that I ask it is, is that President Trump keeps mentioning that he wants to uh, go after this or that blue state next year. Um, you seem to indicate Nevada is probably not that place. Uh, what is a blue state that Donald Trump could take a hard look at actually winning next year? There's not many. Minnesota would be uh-huh. one. He only uh-huh. he only he only uh, lost there by 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 a few points. Maybe uh-huh. maybe 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 New Mexico. Uh-huh. Um, you know, and and possibly um, Nevada, depending on uh, you know on certain things. But I, I think Minnesota is the only one. Okay. Now, 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 flipping it over, the Democrats have got to find 38 electoral votes somewhere if they hold every state that they want. Right. Um, sure. So. We, we we know that they keep talking about the upper Midwest, the, the Rust Belt, but a state I've been looking at that I wanted to ask you about is North Carolina. I know that people have been talking a lot about my home state of Georgia, but I serious, seriously now believe that, that North Carolina is more likely 
to flip than Georgia is. A- a- am I right about that? Yeah, I think if, if one flips, both will flip. Um, mm-hmm. Obama won North Carolina in 2008, uh-huh. and it came close in 2012. Uh-huh. So I think that you're, you're correct. The demographics are better for the Democrats in North Carolina than Georgia. Mm-hmm. And, and, and a final question about the South. You know, you know, for years, Republicans would uh, wring their hands and say that Pennsylvania was simply fool's gold for for Republicans. It would dangle itself out there, and the Democrats would find a way to win it, generally with a huge turnout in the Philadelphia area. But what I want to ask you about is the state of Florida. Has it become fool's gold for Democrats in a national election? I don't think so. I think that you had a runoff for the race for um... – Governor and senator, it was within one mm-hmm. percent, under one percent. So it definitely mm-hmm. can't be fool's gold. I think um, between Trump and um, Clinton, it was within one percent. So mm-hmm. it's very, very close. Um, I don't think the Democrats need Florida to to win, um, but it would awfully it would be awfully nice for them to have it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it definitely would be very nice to have it. It'd make the map a, a lot easier. Uh, to look yeah. at. And the final state I want to ask you about, Mr. Kaplan, is the state of Arizona, which Hillary Clinton lost, I believe, by three percentage points. Um, is that state moving toward purple status, or was the 2016 election just an anomaly there? No, it's, 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 it's been moving. Um, it elected its first Democratic senator. Um, mm-hmm. um, I think what is it, Christy Sinema, Sinema mm-hmm. uh, it'll, uh, 2018, and I think it's going to be a very competitive state. It wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me if the Democrats won Arizona and lost Florida. Um, mm-hmm. I think that you know the Hispanic population is growing tremendously in mm-hmm. um, Arizona. You have a lot of people from California that have moved to um, Arizona from California. And I think that, you know, a lot of people are upset uh, about Trump in the suburbs of, of Phoenix and in Scottsdale and Tucson and some of those wealthy suburbs out there. And I thank you for that, sir. David? Thanks. Yes, and, and Doug, as Tim's asking about Florida, it dawns on me. Doug's based in Florida, so I want to ask one final question about Florida. And we did I didn't, you know, prompt you with it, but since you do Florida political news – uh, it'll kind of let me know how much this is getting around. I read this past week, and it was from a national news source, that as Elizabeth Warren has gotten to where she calls ta- former Tallahassee Mayor Andrew Gilliam on a very regular basis to get his advice on things. And the thoughts are is she's kind of getting an idea of how he thinks and how she well she would work with him. And if she were to get the nomination – that she very well could pick Andrew Gilliam. Um, one, has that made the rounds in Florida? And if it were to happen, and we know there's several ifs there, um, would that really help Florida um, flip into the Democratic column? Oh, yeah. I haven't heard that. But, yeah, it would definitely help um, always having a hometown person, you know, get to another 1% probably uh, historically. Um, so it would help, yes. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure that Vice President Graham would have helped President Gore in 2000, but <laughs> instead he went a different direction. Um, and, and so uh, Bob Graham probably could have been the difference there. Uh, he, he probably could have found 500 votes to take away from Pat Buchanan. Um, well, uh, Doug, yeah. we thank you for coming on the show. Before thank we you let so you go, if there's anything, no, well, if there's anything you want to share about, like how people can read the polls. Get the polls delivered. Get them tweeted. You know, now's your chance to share them. Yeah, just go to gravismarketing.com or Gravis Marketing's Twitter or Facebook, and you can sign up. Um, you guys do a great show, so thank you for having me. Thank you, sir. Oh, anytime. Thank. Thank you for take, coming take, on. Take care. Bye bye. Yes. Bye. All right, that was uh, Doug Kaplan, Gravis Marketing. Um, really does a good job on his polls. If you look on 538, who does the objective uh, analysis of pollsters, uh, Doug's firm really gets solid ratings. Um, so I always find them very interesting to look at. And, and they do a lot of different states. You know, they, they won't do the 800th poll of Iowa. They may pick a different state like Maine um, and, and do some polling on those, even though they're based out of Florida. And, of course, when they get to Florida polling, you know, they have a real feel of the state just because they're down there. Um, well, Tim, let's kind of keep changing directions. Let's go back to something national, but something that happened seemingly, I guess, as we were kind of planning the show last week and then after, and that would be where Donald Trump decided to pull troops from Syria. And there was really just kind of a force, my understanding, kind of more like a police force. It was enough of a presence, presence that President Obama put in there to make sure nobody kind of attacked the Kurds, since there was so much uh, unrest in Syria, it wasn't like they were involved in, you know, all the time heavy fighting. They were just there kind of as a placeholder, keeping things secure. And Donald Trump announced he was pulling some troops, and the Turkish government immediately, Erdogan immediately made a move saying he was going to start attacking. He did. Then just this weekend, Donald Trump said the rest of the troops are leaving Syria because it's unsafe. And this has probably been the issue where Republicans and conservatives and evangelicals, even Pat Robertson, has attacked or criticized Donald Trump, saying they wholeheartedly disagree with his decision. Do you think that this may be part of the undoing of Donald Trump because people are so kind of outraged by this that they might not support him as much on the impeachment? Uh, You're right about one thing. The conservatives are up in arms about this, even uh, his staunchest defenders like Lindsey Graham are just just very unhappy, and and, and they they should be. I I mean, this this, this is all Trump's fault. Uh, um, I mean, uh, he actually tweeted that uh, Turks and Kurds have been fighting for years, and if other people want to come in and join it with them, uh, that we should just let them fight. That, I mean, that that's his answer to this. Uh, I mean, with us stepping out of the way, they've got a new war there. There, there are reports that just a couple of days ago, 950 ISIS fighters escaped imprisonment and now they're out there attacking the Kurds. Um, there's no way the Kurds can hold out, of course, not against them, not against 
uh, pressure from the Russians to the south of them, not against uh, pressure from the Iraqis, and certainly not against the, I mean, a, a general invasion by, you know, a professional modern army, a member of NATO, uh, with 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 air power and all, like like the Turks have. Uh, they got, you know, maybe three choices here. They'll either have to fight where they stand, they'll have to retreat into southern Syria and take their chances with President Assad, among others, or they'll have to try to enter Iraq. And, you know, it's a different set of Kurds in northern Iraq, and they don't want to have to deal with suddenly hundreds of thousands of people joining them. So no option looks good. This also creates another refugee problem. I I saw that uh, already over 100,000 people who are living in this area are are on the move. They've gotten out of their homes, and they're leaving, and they really don't know where to go. Uh, So this Mm. is just a massive, massive mess, and... It's being perpetrated against uh, one of our staunchest allies in, in, in the Kurds who have stood and fought with us as we fought uh, Hussein and and others. And they've lost, you know, probably over 100,000 fighters themselves fighting as our ally. And now we're having to stand off to the side and watch them get slaughtered. There's nothing good about this at all, and uh, oh, it's, it's, it's really yeah. bad. Yeah, I tell you, I'm not smart enough or wise enough to know how to fix all of the problems of the Middle East. Uh, seemingly no one is because uh, they're so complex. Um, but you kind of just get the gut feeling when you have a force in place that's just there to keep the peace, be a presence, and it's working, uh, you know, for this region, for these people that are allies, um, then why would you change that? Now, if, if troops started, you know, really getting attacked and it became unsafe and you say, well, it's not worth this much, you know, loss of American life, then it's a different decision to make. And, you know, you can come down on either side of it and not understand that. Secondly, Tim, you're, you're right about the refugees because Donald Trump's somebody that he's really criticized you know, taking in people from other countries, and that's really anywhere, be it America taking in folks from um, you know, Mexico, Guatemala, um, Colombia, wherever in Central America, whether it's in Europe taking in refugees, particularly from Syria, um, and I think that was part of his travel well, ban. And so the thing he's got to understand is if you have a nice, stable, calm homeland, then people are far less likely to want to leave. If Mm -hmm. situations are good where people were born and raised, be it a certain region of our country, a city, be it a different part of the world, people are less likely to move. Now, I'm of the belief that you know, God created one planet, and we're able to go really anywhere we want to on that planet, and we shouldn't be afraid to do that if we need to. 
Um, so I don't, I don't think we have to just bloom where we're planted, you know, like the old cross-stitch uh, saying goes. But yeah. if you're someone that has the thinking of Donald Trump, then why don't you understand, make that place calmer and more stable, and you won't face this thing that you see as a much bigger problem than a lot of folks. Uh, you know, we're we're a political show here, of course, and we discuss the political angles of, of everything. America is going to take a political hit all over the world over this, and, and I think it's going to drift into our domestic politics uh, when, when we're talking foreign affairs uh, during the presidential election. And that is this. For good or bad, America has always been known as a nation that honored its commitments. Our word was good. And we made a commitment to, to the Kurds because they made a commitment to stand by our side. We made a commitment then to stand by their side. And that commitment was just broken. We just abandoned an ally for really no good reason other than our president is an ardent isolationist. Uh, he, he also is the type that can be talked into anything after having a phone conversation with the president of Turkey. Next thing you know, uh, he, he's announcing our troops are getting out of there, which thrill both Turkey and Russia, and uh, basically just leaving the Kurds to fend for themselves uh, on a whim. You don't conduct foreign policy on a whim. You don't do things like this. There's a right and a wrong way to do things, and Trump has found an even worse way, a disastrous way to do things. Uh, just with that one little tweet of his, he's basically helped get a war started, a new war started in Syria. Yes, and I guess the thing that's the most worrisome is you hear that he has business dealings uh, in Turkey, his hotel brands and whatnot, and to think that he might be making moves either A, based on his bottom line, or B, you mentioned Russia – of course, I mean, I can't tell you exactly A, B, C, D, you know, the whole Trump is a puppet of Putin um, layout. But there's that sense of a lot of folks that he's more apt to do Putin's bidding than he is for the average American, which if he's doing this for either of those two reasons, that's far more worrisome than if he was just simply an isolationist. Because mm-hmm. at least that's a, a guiding philosophy. You can say it's a, a narrow guiding philosophy, like it was, you know, going into World War One and Two, uh, where we had to be involved. But I mean, you can at least say, I mean, you, you at least have your your principle there. Um, well, let's kind of. Uh, unfortunately, I think this will carry on further, and we may unfortunately be discussing it because if we've stopped discussing it, maybe they meant they would have a peaceful resolution, and I just don't know if that's going to happen. Um, so let's talk about something else. We talked about Bernie Sanders polling, but last mm-hmm. week we didn't really get a chance to talk about 
um, Bernie Sanders' health scare. Now, was it a heart attack? Was it just a heart issue? You know, I'm not a doctor. I don't even play one on TV, so I don't know. Uh, so I won't get into that. But he is in his late 70s, and he had a hospitalization due to a heart issue. How big a deal is this medically, politically, and if he were to become president, presidentially? Well, I think it creates some trouble for him. I, I really think it does. He, uh, For one thing, uh, he's added fuel to the fire by announcing, after he got out of the hospital, that he's curtailing his campaigning somewhat uh, because of the health scare. I mean, he just, he just came out and said it. Uh, how can that send a good signal to anyone? Now, 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 of course, as we've discussed, he can stay in. He has raised a ton of money. He has plenty of that to see him through. Uh, his supporters are very devoted. Poll after poll after poll shows that his voters are more enthusiastic about supporting him than they are about supporting some of the other candidates. Now, the problem there is that he is stuck at about, in the latest real clear politics, at 15.2% in the polls, a distant third. And now all this talk about health and age, age comes in there with it uh, because of the health scare, because he's the oldest candidate. Uh, and I just think it would have to drive voters away that were at least giving him a look, undecided voters that are saying, well, you know what, I just don't think this guy can go the distance now. Um, I do agree with Doug Kaplan that he's going to go the distance as far as the campaign goes and for the reasons that I stated, but I just don't see how he can possibly uh, make a serious move now on Biden and Warren. Do you? Well, I, I don't. I think he, even without this, I think he was fading. Um, I will uh -huh. say a few things. One, I think for is he is he seventy seven, seventy eight. Seventy eight. Hearing these numbers because it's seventy eight because it's what he is now and what he'll be if he took over the presidency and you know that changes because of at least had one birthday. Okay, so seventy eight. I think for a seventy eight year old man, he's probably much healthier than the average seventy year old man. Also, no. But a lot of times if people have a heart issue, they put a stent in, the heart then's healthier than it was five years before. Um, you know, so it, it it may be something that he can overcome. Now the fact that he has reduced his schedule, that is kind of a warning sign. I think it does shine a flashlight on the age. But here's another question I have for you back at that, Tim. Let's say it shines a flashlight. Oh, Bernie's seventy eight. Biden's, what, 76? Mm -hmm. Warren is over 70 herself. Now, we I know that women live longer than – just turned 70. But we know that women live longer than men, so you probably put that on about a three-year curve, um, you know, just because of, you know, life expectancy. This is science, not, you know, anything else. And so it's kind of like she's maybe 68 
compared to them, if you will, but still, you know, fully collecting Social Security, AARP member for a while now, a senior. Do you think that this not only hurts Bernie Sanders, hurts the other two, and causes Kamala Harris, Beto O'Rourke, Cory Booker, Amy Klobuchar, you know, keep going, um, Cory Booker, the whole list, does it, Pete Buttigieg, does it cause any of them to get a second look? Um, it's like, hey, we really need somebody that's under 55. Well, you know, I keep waiting for one of them to make a move, uh, David, and uh, the newest polling I see shows Buttigieg in fourth place at 5.5%. Uh, nobody seems to be breaking out of the mid-single digits or anything close to it. They're, they're just sitting there. And uh, I don't see now if the early debates haven't shaken that up a little bit uh what could shake it up although something still could and and i want to say something about uh two candidates donald trump is 73 but people don't think about donald trump as being old you never hear him mention it okay they got too much other rich material of course i know to work on with him but uh, they never mention his age, that he's the third oldest candidate out there. Uh, Elizabeth Warren is 70, but she is running around this country like a track star. She's got energy, uh, and people, the voters don't seem to be thinking of her in the same vein as they would Sanders and Biden. Um she just, dare I say, she's not acting her age, which which politically is probably a good thing. Uh, and, and so I don't think age is a, is a factor with her right now. I think uh, down the road ideology will be more of a factor as voters weigh in whether she is ideologically too far to the left or, or if it's time to to nominate a progressive that we think can actually win the election. I think the Democratic Party is is going to come to a decision like that as far as she is concerned. But I don't believe it will be aged. But i tell you what I do think. I believe that if one of these three folks that are way out front, either her, Biden, or Sanders, gets a nomination, and I believe now one of them will, that they are going to pick as their running mate from that group, and and age is going to be a strong consideration to balance the ticket. Yeah, I mean, uh, Andrew Gilliam, I always thought it kind of would be Cory Booker, but this is interesting. And if you look, Florida is much more in play than New Jersey is, and he is younger. I mean, he was – I believe he was under 40 when he ran for governor – of Florida, so uh, he would definitely mm-hmm. bring a younger face there uh, and everything else, and so um, that's pretty that, fascinating. And of course, she's thing. got to win it first before. Wasn't well, that the thing with Stacey Abrams, though? Uh, how young she is. Um, the, the, I think that was the thing with her—a new, fresh face. Um, I don't don't you think she had the same sort of appeal? 
the the young and it really and and Senate races, governor races, that next level down, a lot of that happens. You know, Beto O'Rourke had that um, buzz about him. There were some congressional candidates like a Avery, Amy or Abby Finkenauer was like in her twenties and won a seat in Iowa. And so some of that, you know, last year in those off year elections, there were a lot of young faces. It's just not translating into the um, presidential race this time. And, Tim, you mentioned Donald Trump and the fact that we don't see him as old. I'll say a few things there. One, um, I think there's just so much else going on there that age is just not the the, the first thing you think about. Now, I will say this. Remember Ronnie Jackson uh, did the physical, and, of course, they fudged the height at least an inch. Um, Some people say two. And it took him out of the obese range. Well, you know, based on everything everybody says, he's probably six one, maybe six two. He's definitely not six three. So he's obese. We know mm-hmm. he eats horribly. I mean, probably he probably eats worse than Taft. So therefore, he's probably our most unhealthy eater ever to be president. And then I'm listening once again to this book, and they talk about how lazy he is with uh, playing golf. And, like, you're only supposed to use your golf cart at certain points, and he actually will have them pull it on the green, which is like some kind of golf mortal sin. But it's really because he just doesn't want to walk. He, like, walks two steps. And so he's so unfit, but yet he is seemingly healthy. Um, And so I think that does give this – uh, weird appearance, and I'll, I'll probably say Ronnie Jackson was right. He probably has got some incredible genes. Now, of course, he could use those genes for good and be 95 building houses for Habitat for Humanity in you know 20 years, uh, like Jimmy Carter, because you can actually live a different way and um, actually you know really extend your life in a really productive way, like he has. But Donald Trump mm-hmm. is really, you know, most people that live like that. If you said, if you were at 30 and said, man, that's going to be my plan, you might not make it uh, to, to 72, and you may certainly not make it to 72, you know, in, in one ambulatory piece. Um, but, you know, for whatever reason, I think that all plays in. Well, Tim, I don't even think we got everything, discuss everything. Catherine had kind of a uh, something come up, and she, you know, she let us know. But hopefully she'll be back full time and, and, you know, make it all the way to the final whistle uh, on next week's show. But until then, been the Cudsey Vine. Good night, everybody. Good night. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for 